I'll be reading from Hebrews 4, verses 1 and 2. Again, that's Hebrews 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But then the the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith for those who have heard it. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest again, we welcome you. It really does encourage us that you're here. We hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It's good to be together with God's family. What a blessing it is to come together in this longer weekend and have time to worship God and just to encourage each other. As we think about many encouraging things, we think about the good news that our Brazil mission team has finally arrived safely after a few delays. They arrived 36 hours later, uh, but they're there and they're, they've got their feet on the ground and they're ready to get to work and we're thankful for that. Be praying for them this week. And then we also want to encourage you to be praying for the mission trip that is coming up. Uh, there will be about 90 that will leave Friday for the stateside mission trip and we'll stay in one hotel, but each morning we'll divide and there'll actually be two campaigns taking place at the same time in Kentucky. One will be the Mercer Church of Christ and one the Lawrenceburg Church of Christ. And so be praying about that and, and let's pray that great spiritual fruit will come from both of these mission works. And we're thankful for all that God gives us the opportunity to do. As we think about being prayerful, I want to begin this morning with a prayer. And, and um, Bill Driver, uh, this past week, uh, has been transferred to a live hospice in the um, medical, TriStar Medical Clinic or Skyline Medical uh, Facility in Madison. And uh, Bill and I had a, a real good visit the other day. And and one of the things that he asked specifically was for prayers of forgiveness and to let you as a church family know that uh, he wants to be right with you. He wants to be right with God. And if there's anything that, that he's done to offend any of you, he wants forgiveness in that. Uh, as you know, Bill's a good man. He's been a faithful Christian for a long time. And uh, he wants to be at peace and, and really a part of what we're going to study today and even this evening. Uh, we'll deal with that peace. And so uh, let's honor his request and let's, let's pray on his behalf. Let's bow. Most gracious God, we thank you for life and for the opportunity that we have to be adopted by you and to share in a life in your family. And God, that kind of boggles our mind that the almighty creator would love us and would want to be close to us for an eternity. And God, we're thankful for your church family that is such a blessing to each one of us. And we're thankful for the driver family. And God, we pray that as Bill has confessed sins, we pray that you'll forgive him. And God, we pray that each one of us would be a source of encouragement and strength during this time. We pray for Shirley and for Renee and Tammy and for all the family. 
And we pray for strength as they continue uh, to serve Bill. God, there are so many others in our congregation that have gone through a tough week or have procedures or surgeries coming up even this week. And God, we pray your, your richest blessings upon each one of them. God, our prayer is that no matter what we go through, that our faith would be strong and that we would believe in you and that we would believe you. And God, as we open your holy word this morning and, and this evening, our prayer is that we will see everything you want us to see today from Hebrews 3 and 4. God, help us to be thirsty. Help us to be hungry to truly learn your truths. Help us to be fervent to help others learn about you so that the population of those that will have rest for an eternity would increase. Again, God, we ask you to bless us as we study, and it's through your son's name we pray, and amen. A few weeks ago, as we began this study of rest, remember I showed you this picture and said, this guy kind of looks like he's at rest, or this beauty, she definitely looks like she's at rest. And it might not be that you would immediately also think of freedom. Here we are, Independence Day, but yet if you will remember when we looked up the word rest in a secular dictionary, you remember here were some of the definitions out of the noun word rest. And notice the first one dealt with a repose of sleep and the second one dealt with inactivity after uh, exertion of labor. Maybe you work really hard and whew, you come in and, and rest. But then the third one dealt with relief or freedom. There, there's something that's binding you. There's something that's burdening you. There's something that's troubling you. And we want freedom from that. Just as 13 colonies over 200 years ago, we wanted freedom from Great Britain. There were some that felt strongly about the religious freedom that, that wanted to be gained. There were others that felt like the unfair representation and, and, and taxation combined was, was just something that wasn't right and they wanted freedom from that. But we think about our spiritual life and we think about the burdens that we carry of sin. And we think about being free from the burden of sin. And as we look at that, we've looked at Hebrews, the third and fourth chapter. And I, I always, I really wrestled with whether or not to begin with a review because that usually means turn the audience off and hope you pick them back up later. I don't know. But, but contrary to the bulletin, we're going to study Hebrews, the fourth chapter this morning and tonight. And this will be the end of this series. And so I thought, I, one of my goals in studying this uh, series of sermons is for all of us to see Hebrews 3 and 4 as one piece of writing and really appreciate the rest that's brought. And so because of that, I'm going to take the risk of a very quick review because I want us to see all of this today as one piece of writing. And you remember Hebrews, the third chapter and verse one, this was a passage written to brethren. There are many things that God says that, that people that have never become believers need to hear. This is a passage, though, where God says, I want to write to those of you that are brethren, and I want to give you a heads up of some things to consider. Verse 1 through about verse 5, he says, I want you to consider Christ. Consider him as apostle. Consider him as a high priest. Consider him greater than Moses. But then in verse 6, he says, consider your faith. And, and this is really, this verse right here goes through the whole writing. 
If, if we had reduced Hebrews 3 and 4, perhaps to one verse, perhaps this would be the thesis of it. And remember, if we're going to be in Christ and we're going to be a part of Christ's house, the church, notice what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. And remember we talked about the fact that, that this hold fast is, is to take possession of and the confidence is, is kind of a frankness and a bluntness. And, and so it's the idea that let's say something horrible happens in your life. The doctor gives you bad news. Uh, 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 an employer gives you bad news. A friend stabs you in the back. No matter what happens, can you just keep walking in confidence in life? This confidence is not found in yourself. Notice the next. And the rejoicing of the hope. The rejoicing is, what are you going to boast in? What are you going to glory in? The hope is God's, the expectation that God keeps his promises. And so here's this person that, that they've received some tough news today, but they, they're just walking through life. Somebody says, how do you do that? How do you go through storms in life and you still just seem to walk with confidence? My confidence isn't found in me, we should be able to say. I believe that God's going to keep his promises and the big picture, the spiritual life on this earth and for eternity is going to be well. My health may not always be well. My finances may not always be well. Some of my friendships may not always be well. Some of my relationships, even with family may not always be well. But the expectation that God is going to take care of my soul and for eternity that can be strong. And that's why he says rejoicing, glorying and boasting in that. And notice we hang on to that firm to the end. Well, now when we go down to, to verse seven through 11, he gives an example of the Israelites who didn't hang on to the end. And, and as, as a matter of fact, the sad thing is they held on for a while. When Moses was ready to lead them out of Egypt, they followed they followed by God's lead through the divided sea. They followed Mount Sinai. Now sure, they had mistakes along the way. They built the tabernacle. They put together the Levitical priesthood, just like God said. They followed right over to the edge. And when they were ready to go into Canaan, remember the 10 spies came back with the wicked report and two spies, Joshua and Caleb, their plea, ultimately, in essence, their plea was this. We believe God. God says he's going to give us this land, let's go up at once and let's claim this land. In essence, the other 10, their plea was, we don't believe God. Sure, he says he's going to do it, but we've seen the fortified cities. We have seen the, the descendants of giants. We have seen such strength. And so in essence, now, I, you know, if you, if you just said it that bluntly there, I, I guess they would have still agreed with that. I don't know. Maybe they'd have kind of played mind games and said, oh, no, no, we kind of believe God. But in, in essence, they didn't believe God. And remember a few weeks ago, we really drove home the fact it's one thing to say, I believe in God. It's another thing to say, I believe God. Probably all 12 of those spies strongly believed in God. But only two of them believed God. And so what did they do? They fell short. And it is that example that the Hebrew writer chose to pull just like a needle and thread all the way through a passage. It's the teaching in verse 6 to 
to put our confidence in the promises of God and don't let anything stop us from moving forward with God. Do you trust God? When your eyes don't see it, do you still trust God? So verse six goes all the way through and then the example of the children of Israel not having a belief, a trust that God would keep his way. That runs all the way through Hebrews three and four. And so we, we talked about, or the Hebrew writer talks about consider Christ, consider your own faith. And then we drop down to verse 12 and we also are giving a warning and that is consider the alternative. If you, if you don't remain faithful, beware brethren, lest there be in any of you a heart of unbelief. And so it comes back to you believe God or do you have a heart of unbelief? And then we also talked about consider one another in verse 13. And this is where he says, but exhort one another daily while it's called today. And then he quotes out of Psalm 95. And so when he says, exhort one another daily, why are we exhorting one another daily? Holy brethren, it's very possible if we don't encourage each other, some of us won't make it to the eternal rest. Let that sink in. If we do not encourage one another, it is possible some of us will not make it to the eternal rest. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying. So exhort one another daily. Daily do things that encourages each other to live this holy life. And so in this next slide is just a review. If, if you just want to kind of get the outline in your mind, that's not all of Hebrews, the third chapter, but that's a lot of Hebrews, the third chapter. Consider Christ, consider your faith, consider the possibility of unbelief and consider others. And then seven through 11 is that example of the children of Israel when they reached, they, they, they followed the Lord. They believed the Lord for so long, but then it came time to enter into the rest and they didn't believe God any longer. And so now we begin a fresh study this morning in Hebrews, the fourth chapter. And we will not be able to study all of the verses of Hebrews four today, but I hope that we can pull maybe uh, enough that would be uh, very uh, genuine and fair to the passage that we would teach what God would, would be teaching to us. And so look with me, if you will, this morning at the first two verses, and we'll come back later tonight for more. But look at Hebrews four and verse one. Therefore, you remember, therefore always ties what has been said. And, and he says, now let's just kind of taking that in mind, let's just continue thinking about it. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest. Now that's really interesting. The children of Israel had the opportunity to enter rest. And now the Hebrew writer says, Hey, all of us, holy brethren, we have an opportunity to enter rest too. It still remains. And so now you kind of scratch your head and think, okay, so is he saying that he's going to offer us like a physical land on this earth that we call the land of promise or, or the land of Canaan? Well, no, it's, it's not that he's offering us geographically a land of rest, but it's a spiritual place that we dwell, that we become. It's that rest that we have in God that we begin on this earth as we are living a life in Christ, but the completeness or the fullness of that rest is found in the eternal home. And, and that's why it's so appropriate. It's biblical. It's, it's, it's perfect to describe heaven as an eternal rest. It's because of writings like this. And so now let's read again. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, now notice this warning, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Wow. 
You know, sometimes people really shy away from, from the idea that, that God would speak so bluntly to you to say, there's some things I want you to be afraid of. There are some things I want you to fear. I remember one time a woman in a Bible class, she spoke up, a verse like this was read and, and she was probably a lady in her early 60s and she spoke up and she said, I just don't like when there are passages like that telling us to fear things. And the Bible class teacher said, well, I don't think we can change the wording. I mean, that, that's what it says. And, and you know, I just thought, what, what are we supposed to do? Look, I don't know if you hear this and think like, well, I can't believe God would, would, would tell me I need to live in view each day of the fact that I might become unfaithful. I don't find that dissettling. I, I don't find that as God being a jerk. I don't exactly understand why some people do. I don't understand why some people think, well, why would a loving God? You think, because we are made of creatures of choice and we live out the outcome of our choices, wouldn't it only be the loving thing to do for God to say, I want you to really be aware and stay away from decisions that will hurt you now and for an eternity. That's a loving thing. Can you imagine a parent saying they love their child and they will not tell their child to stop playing in the street? Can you imagine that? You say, why, why don't you love your child? Why don't you take care of your child? Oh, I just don't want them to fear things. I just want, I want them to be able to have a life of freedom and I, want, I don't ever want to tell them no. You know, and we look at it from a parenting standpoint and well, at least some parents, they get it. And, and so then you look at it from the ultimate parent and, and he tells us, there's some things I want you to fear. Okay, God, I'm listening to you. And I love the fact that you love me enough that you would give me protection. What do you want me to fear? And, and notice again, as we read verse one, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. And the it is that rest that God provides through his promises. Remember right before this series, we studied about being covenant people. Covenant with, with God means that his promises shape our future. If we, big if, if we are willing to walk in step with him, if we're willing to be in that covenant relationship with him. And so now what should we fear? We should fear coming short of that. You know, that, that word in the original language coming short is, it's interesting. You know, the first description in a lexicon for that, the first description is arriving late. That might not be the first thing that comes to your mind when, when you think of coming short, falling short, but literally falling short is you've arrived late. Oh, please tell me it's not too late. Yeah, the 805 train's already left. You, you've fallen short. You've arrived late. It also has to do with the idea of to be in want. But, but, but I really want to be on that train. I, it's the day of judgment. I, I really want to spend eternal life with you, God. I'm, I'm sorry. You've fallen short. It's too late now to make changes. It's, it's you finding yourself in want of what you can't do anything about right now. 
If any of you are Titans fans, and I use the phrase falling short, isn't that amazing that some of you are smiling and we're going back 16 years ago. But every Titans fan knows immediately what you mean when you say one of our greatest disappointments as a franchise was us falling one yard short in the Super Bowl. Kevin Dyson could have scored and with an extra point tied the Super Bowl game and this literally was the last play of the game. The call was brilliant. Run check down the middle, pulling off to the left, pulling the linebacker to the left with check. Dyson would be open, take a step, fall into the end zone. The only problem was Mike Jones, the linebacker, looked over his shoulder just in time to see McNair passing to Dyson. He moved around immediately, and as, as Kevin Dyson would explain in his own words, he says, if you, watch, if you watch Mike Jones, he made the perfect tackle. He wrapped up the first leg, right hand, right leg, and then immediately... As, as Kevin was making one, if he would have made one full stride, he would have scored. But with his other hand, he locked that knee, stopped his step short. And as he tried his best to stretch, to just get one more yard, it wasn't there. You know, kind of the irony of all this this is considered either the second, some have said first, but probably after in recent years, it's probably the second or third most significant play in all Super Bowl histories. All Super Bowls. This is considered one of the most significant plays. And you know what all of the sports world calls it? All the sports world calls it the tackle. Do you know what all Titans call it? one yard short. Why? Because it hurts. If you're a real fan, it hurts. It hurts to know that you, you got that close and you fell short. I want you to look back at this passage again. I want you to just really bask and, and linger for a moment and meditate for a moment on verse one again, where he says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Judgment days for real. Whether we believe and we've surrendered our life, trusting God is for real. And there's gonna be a day we breathe our last breath. And the question is, will we have finished with the Lord? Or will we have fallen short? Will we be able to say, you know, there was a time that I served the Lord. 
There's a time I was faithful to the Lord. The problem is I just didn't finish with him. Yeah, it was, it was about a year before the Lord came. I, I just left the Lord. It's about a year before I died. And I, I just, you know, it was in my middle age. I, I just quit serving him. Well, the fear coming short of entering that rest. You know, the irony for the children of Israel, whenever they fell short of that rest, remember the Lord was so angry. He wanted to destroy them. He wanted to annihilate them. Moses steps up and he urges them not to annihilate them. And he says, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send them back to the wilderness and they're going to wander for 40 years and all the adults are going to die and we'll bring the younger generation and we'll give them the chance to enter in to this land of rest. And so that punishment was voiced. They knew it. And you know what they did the next morning? In Numbers, the 14th chapter, we begin reading in 39 that, that Moses tells what they did. And in 40, they arose up early in the morning and they came to the top of the mountain and they said, here we are. And we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised for we have sinned. In 41, Moses says, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord? This will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies, the Amalekites and Canaanites. And, and then skip down to 44. They presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the ark, the covenant of the Lord, nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. Isn't that amazing? It came time to go over and they said, we don't believe God, we're not going. They received the punishment and God says, okay, you're gonna go back to the wilderness and you're gonna fulfill your punishment. The next morning they get up. Well, what are you doing on this mountain? Oh, we're gonna go now and we're gonna do what God told us to do. Well, there's two things wrong with that. Number one is you're too late. You have fallen short. And number two, that's not what God's told you to do now. What God's told you to do now is to go back to the wilderness. First thing that comes to my mind when I read this, just simple phrase, we don't play games with God. I know sometimes we grow up with parents that, that they let us kind of pit one parent against the other and they let us talk circles until we get the parents confused and, and if we get really good at it, we try it at school and we pull it off on a few teachers and then we get good and we, we try it at our workplace and a, a boss, a supervisor and, and, and we literally get pretty good at finagling things and telling little white lies here and making things work out. I hope that doesn't describe you. That's a real lack of integrity. But I can tell you this, that doesn't work with God at all. We either believe him or we don't. We're not going to show up late and say, okay, God, I know it's the day of judgment, but I'm just going to throw out, you know that I really loved you and, and, and some way you're going to let me in anyway. And the warning that the Hebrew writer gives is don't fall short. Well, how serious was Jesus about this? We're not going to elaborate on these. So if you don't know these, I encourage you to go and read these. 
But this is some of Jesus' teaching. When you say, how serious is it to Jesus? In Matthew, the 25th chapter, we have three scenes that pertain to the day of judgment. The first is the parable, and there were five young women that were ready for the coming of the bridegroom, and there were five others that were there at first, but then they weren't prepared for the endurance. They weren't prepared to stay there. In other words, they didn't have enough oil. And so they go to get more oil, and while they do, the bridegroom comes, and the door is shut. And when they come back, in essence, what's the problem? When they come back, it's too late. They fell short. When we look at the parable of the talents, we see that the five and the two talent went and they used what they had in a very wise way. And whenever the master returned, they were ready for his return. But the one that buried his talent in the ground wasn't ready for his return. And it was too late to do anything about it once the master returned. And then we see the last half of the chapter where it's the day of judgment scene and, and there's a divide and, and all the ones on the right are the saved and the ones on the left are lost. And, and he gives this scene where even the righteous said, Lord, you're saying we did these things for you. We don't, we don't remember giving you food and drink and clothing and, and taking you in when you were sick and visiting you. We, we don't remember those things. And remember, Jesus said, when you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. But the important thing is to see that there was no going back because then he immediately turns around to the others and he tells them to depart from him and, and they're eternally lost. And there's, there's not this opportunity that says, oh, wait, I get it now. You really did mean that. Oh, you were serious about that. Okay, Lord, I, I, want, I want to serve you now with everything. I, I don't want to turn my back on you now. As we study this, I'd like for you to notice in Hebrews, the fourth chapter in verse two, he gives a reason. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. It's interesting that he calls what was given to the children of Israel in the Old Testament gospel. But you remember the word gospel in its meaning simply means good news. And so he's saying the children of Israel had good news. We're not going to read these, but just notice in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, look at the highlighted parts there. This is what God promised Israel, that he'd be merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquities. Doesn't that sound like good news? Doesn't that sound like gospel? On the next slide, we see Numbers, the 14th chapter, and we see that he promised them, remember God, we expect him to keep his promises. This is gospel. This is good news for Israel. He promised that he was going to bring them to a land and it would be a land that flows with milk and honey. And so see, when we come to, to Hebrews, the fourth chapter and verse one, and he says, don't fall short. The reason they should not have fallen short was because they had the gospel preached to them. They knew what God was offering them. And then he turns around in Hebrews 4, 1 and 2, and he says to us, we need to seek for that rest that remains even for us. And we've had the gospel preached to us. In the New Testament, we oftentimes think because of the way the word is used uh, in the New Testament, that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is good news of, of our Savior. Now, with that in mind, I want to start moving toward a close and I want you, perhaps you've noticed this before, and this is just a good review. If you've never noticed this before, my hope is you will never look at Matthew, the 11th chapter, 28, 29, the same again. When you understand Hebrews 3 and 4, 
it makes Matthew 11, 28 and 29 come alive. And notice what Jesus says here. This is part of the gospel. This is part of the good news. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Jesus says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what? You will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here we see the, the idea that one, Jesus is a source of rest for us today. But the second thing that we see here is that we have to find it. You see the way that's worded? The first one, he says, I'll give you rest. The second one says, and you will find rest. In other words, this rest is offered to all the seven plus billion people on this earth. That rest is offered to every one of them. But there will only be a portion that find that rest. It will be those that believe Jesus. Do you not just believe in Jesus, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe what Jesus says about coming to him? And uh, note the language here, the yoke, picture oxen. Christ says, I'm on one side of the yoke. He says, I want you to come in and I want you to yoke your life with me. Let's walk in the same direction. Let me guide you. Let me pull the load because there's going to be things that spiritually you can't pull on your own. You can't forgive yourself a sin. You can't give yourself the hope of eternal life. You can't make it without Jesus. But you know what? When we yoke with Jesus, his burden is light. It's, it's like, wow, all these things I couldn't do for myself. Now I'm walking with Jesus and it's done. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? Now the heart that was burdened saying, I can't do this. Now it's accomplished because of Christ. We can find rest. Fifteen years later, last year, Kevin Dyson wrote an article because through the years he's been asked a whole lot about how hard was it to overcome falling short that one yard. And in the article he talked about how hard it was. He talked about especially the first few months, it was his consuming thought. What could I have done to get one more yard? Why, why could I not have stretched it out one more yard? But then he immediately transitioned the rest of the article with this statement. But then I just had to realize there are some things more important than football. That's true. I want you to envision yourself standing on the day of judgment. I want you to envision yourself just falling short. And please understand, we'll see this even tonight when we come back. Hebrews 3 and 4 is not about a merit system. We just need to do a little more work, a little more work. That's not what he's talking about in falling short here. Here, he's talking about individuals that believe the Lord and they walk with the Lord. And then one day they just stop believing the Lord. I don't believe what he says there. I don't, and so they literally stop following the Lord. It's like the children of Israel. We'll follow the Lord. And then they get to the edge and they say, I'm not going over the land of Canaan. I'm not going to face those giants. And I want you to imagine standing on the day of judgment 
I want you to imagine saying, you know, there was a time where I would have followed the Lord anywhere, but then there was a time that I stopped following the Lord. I stopped believing the Lord. And now I want you to, I want you to think about Dyson's words. There's some things just more important than football. All right, now, there's some things more important than eternal life. There's some things more important than a faithful relationship with God. What is it? Your job is nothing compared to your relationship with God. Your friendships that you have, how many likes you have, how many followers you have on Twitter, it is nothing compared to your eternal life. Your hobby, your portfolio, There is nothing you can say. Oh, well, this is more important than eternal life. So yeah, you fall one yard short in the Super Bowl. You can honestly say there are a lot of things more important than that. But you fall short in eternal life, entering that eternal rest. And there's nothing more important than that. What will I do this week? Number one, I'll meditate and admire a life that finishes in God's rest. I hope you'll really give that thought. I hope you'll meditate upon that. I also hope that you'll join me. I'll pray in gratitude for rest. And then finally, I will fear falling short. Because that's what my Lord tells me to do. This morning... If you've become a Christian and you've lost your focus, the Hebrew writer's plea is, do you realize how significant that is? Let's get back on track this morning. Let's make first things first. If you've never become a Christian and you're ready to be immersed in Christ this morning, we'd love to assist you with that. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.